chapter 5. The best way we can worship the Lord is to hear from Him. And He has written to us personal letters. One of them is Romans. And uh, rather remarkable. Uh, the deep love of Christ. It's what we spoke about last week. And uh, we continue on um, I usually start with a question, or at least a lot of times I do. And I'll do it again. Are you ready? How can what one man did affect everyone, everyone who's ever lived? Why is there death in the world that so dominates, that comes from that one man's and so we think about Adam. He's that one man because of his disobedience to God's specific command. He caused sin and death to come upon all of mankind. And so Adam is the illustration of how one man's deeds can affect people throughout all of the ages, all of mankind, and through all parts of the world, everybody has been affected by this one man. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Bad as that seems, it's a great analogy, a great analogy, it's a good analogy to what Christ did in His one act. His work that affected the many. Through Adam, all men were condemned, and through Christ, all men have been reconciled who are His. Adam is the very source, that one man of our condemnation. And yet Christ is the source of our justification. One man, one man. In the text that we are in, it's considered by theologians to be the hardest one in the book of Romans. Romans has got some tough things to say anyway, doesn't it? This is pretty difficult in some ways. Uh, don't worry. We're going to try to cover the details and get as much understanding as we can. We'll work through those difficulties and I think we can come to a pretty clear answer to this. Although God is infinite and His uh, knowledge is endless and the depth of Him we will never understand, isn't it great to know that uh, one day in glory we'll have a much greater capacity to understand who He is then than we have now. Some things we'll never ever know because He is infinite. But yet, He gives us great knowledge through the revealed Word of God that we have in our hands right here. And, uh, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing to think about the tremendous wealth that we are getting ready to enter into as we go deep into the mines here and uh, dig for this treasure. And it's very rewarding. Some of it seems very simple, and it is, but the profoundness behind it is there, so I'll try to give as many different pictures and angles of it as I can. Sometimes, just bear with me, because it may sound like I've been repeating myself. By the time we get to the end of the hour, it'll probably sound like I've gone over it a hundred thousand times. But uh, I still am trying to get a handle on it, and I probably will for eternity, how that works. But I will tell you something about theology. It is deeply needed. Uh, it is very important to us. Uh, I know that practicality is very important. We always want to have those in our messages, if we possibly can. 
how does this apply to my life? Application is important, but uh, it never weighs over doctrine uh, because that's the very teaching of God. Theology means study of God, and that's what we do. That's what we're all about. You can say theologians are those ones that come out of the seminaries, uh, not necessarily if you are uh, a believer in God and a believer in Christ. You're a theologian. Uh, you're seeking uh, the very knowledge of who God is. You know, what our minds understand determine what we do or say. So there's the practicality about it. How does this work in my life, though? Uh, we might be working on some abstract ideas, which through Romans so far we've seen a lot of abstract principles, but they mean something of how we live our lives, don't they? And so uh, it has been said that theology is the most important thing in our existence. You say what? Study of God. Uh, this is eternal life that they may know Thee. As Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, it's knowing God. I can't think of anything or any person to know better than God Himself and He has more stuff here than we can stuff in our little brains. Today, we are going to look at uh, a very, I think, important doctrine. And imputation is a very key element in this. Uh, maybe the most key. I don't have it in the title. I have original sin in the title, Why the World is Like It Is. And uh, we'll get to see why we know why there's so much difficulty in this world. When you look at this text today, you get it. R.C. Sproul said, uh, where we're at today right here, he said, there's no other place where imputation is emphasized more clearly as much as it is here. Imputation is dealing with being transferred or reckoned to be counted, to move over from one account to another account, as the banking term uh, brings forth. Uh, it sounds very abstract, but actually when you look at it, you see how that works in your life. The very righteousness of Christ is what we have seen so far in Romans chapter 3, after we got all the bad news about sin and condemnation for everyone and then... He shows the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of God and such. And we, we get to what is being justified to be reconciled to God who we saw as our enemy. We hated Him uh, and we know that we are looking to the very element of Christ being the one who makes us right with God. We are declared righteous. So uh, I'm going to invite you to uh, get your scriptures as we turn to Romans 5, 12 through 14. Three verses there. There's actually... Uh, the one section goes all the way to the end in Romans 5. But there's no way that we would have time to cover all that today. And it's obvious why. Let's start in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered to the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to turn to your scripture and to see what you have given us. This is 
again, another addition to all the wisdom that you've given us. You just continue to feed us with your truth as we open this up. May we have a little more understanding what this sort of difficult text is dealing with. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we have, in verse 12, another section, but it, like everything else, is always coming off of something else that gives us more truths and depth to understand where we have been and where we're going. And so that's why he starts off in verse 12, even though it's another section or a subsection. He says, therefore... And uh, uh, we see that quite frequently. Uh, Therefore, for, because of. Therefore is referring back to the last verse and really what was said before that. But uh, he's talking about reconciliation. That's the very last word. We have reconciliation because of one person. And that's Jesus Christ. And he'll get into that further as we trek on along in our area that we're at today. Christ is the one man where we find reconciliation. It was him that uh, caused that. Imputation is all involved there. Reconciliation, we were enemies, now we're not. Through one individual, we're reconciled to God. Now, you know, I think... Well, how can one individual do that? I mean, I, I've never seen this, so I can't scientifically examine this. How does this happen? My, my futile thinking, my thoughts are like, okay, I believe it, but I don't get it. And I'm not going to be able to explain that absolutely thoroughly for we, where we can all get it. But let's try a little bit of... That's why the next statement is there. It begins to to answer it. Through one man, sin entered the world. Through one man, sin entered the world. We just came off of reconciliation. Christ being the one man who reconciles us to God the Father. And now we, we get this. The fact that sin is here today, it's something that took place... In reality, we believe it, we know it, and it made the world a different place. You're talking about a drastic change whenever sin was introduced into this world, into mankind, and everything changed. Man changed all of creation. The whole universe fell because of one man. And everybody that's going to be born Till Christ comes back, right? That is the idea of the uh, the effect there. Um, we know that sin first happened in the heavens. I guess you could say where you have the fall of Satan, Lucifer. That's really where the first sin happened. Usually, whenever you say original sin, R.C. Sproul talks about this a lot of times. You say original sin. Well, we think, well, that came. That's uh, the sin uh, of Adam there, the original sin. Well, you know, in, in a sense it is, but really the first sin goes back to Satan. But actually, original sin has to do with something just a little bit different. And um, we'll try to explain that a little bit. Uh, Satan, we know, came to earth and uh, he really comes to man. You know, man is just a pawn. He's really trying to get to God because God is the one that did this to him. He just wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped like God was worshipped. And so, what's the next best thing he can do as he pulls down a third of the demons? Well, he, he himself is going to come to God's great creation, man. And... Here's where man is at in his situation. Man is innocent. Man is, if you remember the uh, Monday night Bible studies that we had at the store, Alpha and Omega, many years ago, was uh, 
and we were kind of, well, we were in this area for quite some time as we went through the book of Romans. Passe Picari is Latin. It comes from Augustine. Augustine, the great theologian of whom we owe very much. Uh, the Reformed theology, a lot of that was based on his understanding what salvation was and who God is. Passe Picari is that, and, and then also Passe Non Picari. Passe Picari, or you can think of man was able to sin. He was innocent, but he was able to sin, obviously, because a temptation came along and he did sin. He was able to sin, but you also have passe non picari, and that's the ability to not sin. Now that doesn't happen today. We have the ability to sin and uh, all the time. Just sin, all, that's the nature of man. But not what Adam had, and that's why he had free choice. That's really where people call free will for choosing God. Well, actually, even him didn't really, but he had a choice of what he's going to do, to listen to what God said or not, uh, he had the ability to not sin. He had the ability to sin, the ability to not sin. Also, also would be passe more. More is dealing with death. He has the possibility of death, because God gave him a warning, and he also has the possibility of not dying. Passe non mare. And so with sin comes death. Those two words we'll be relating to all throughout this study and the next study or two. Uh, you're dealing with um, death here and sin. Sin brings forth death. Original sin is not the first sin, but it is really the result of sin. It's the consequence of sin. Um, when you think about it, the sin of Adam then was transferred to mankind. And that's imputation. And so that's where we're at. And so, you know, since the fall, we have no ability to not sin. Do you catch that? Yeah, double negatives. That means that we sin. And without Christ, of course, we now we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we get back to a little bit of where Adam was, you know, in that sense. We are not innocent. But in Christ we are. Um, just a little bit um, about that fall. And if you go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. That means that's his whole way of life. That's what he's all about. That's sin. That's without Christ. Um, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And ultimately, that will happen. It was because of what happened at the cross. And we know that sin will be done eradicated totally someday. And we look to that, and we know that we have the consequence of sin still with us in our flesh. We still battle with sin, even as Christians, even though we've been declared right. Uh, Adam, never knowing sin, in one moment, now knew sin. Terrible thing. Go back to... Uh, Genesis 2 for a moment. I'm not going to camp out there very long. Uh, but we know the very beginning is found in, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We see so many things that go on there. And uh, we know that God gave Adam and Eve the authority to rule over the fish of the sea, birds of the sky, the cattle, and over all the earth. That's in 126. And uh, he was to be fruitful and multiply in verse 28. God blessed him. So there was nothing but good happening. There was no possibility of sin at that time until sin happened. 
Everything was perfect in every way. Everything you thought, everything you did, everything around you was perfect. What a situation, right? That's what Adam blew. Uh, well, when you when you see in as it develops in chapter two, we know that God has plans for man, and there's the creation of man. This man is real. He's not just some kind of an idea. Uh, a lot of people, even Christians, and I put that in quotes because they have trouble with the Word of God. Anybody that has trouble with the Word of God, in that sense, if you can't believe Genesis, the first few chapters, then what can you believe in the Bible at all? That's my question. So, he's a literal man. She was a literal woman. These things that uh, we're reading here is not some kind of a semblance, some kind of a... Thing that goes along with evolution, uh, no, that uh, doesn't apply at all. And we see quickly, and by chapter 3, we get the fall of man. Uh, verse 1 The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Has God said that? And there's the question. And uh, that's creating doubt. And that's really what the enemy does. He comes in very, very subtle. Just raises a question to make you think. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will Die. Now, that's a key word that we're talking about to die, uh, today. Die. Death. And uh, if you do that, you will die. If you eat of that particular tree, you will die. She knew that. Adam knew that. Adam was told specifically by God, and he's a representative there. He's even more responsible, and that's why we keep saying Adam. But uh, he was a part of this, too. We definitely know she played a big part, but Adam is the one who deliberately disobeyed. She was deceived, as it said in Timothy, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Oh, God has already said that. If you eat of this, you will die. And here, Satan just goes right up against everything that God had said. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. Just exactly what Satan tried to do to be like God. Knowing good and evil. Don't you wish that you never knew evil? That it was ever around? Well, evidently God had a different plan when it's all ultimately uh, spoken. We know that God is in control of that. If He didn't want sin to be here, if He didn't want that tree to be here, he could have eliminated it, not, not ever been there in the first place. God's depth, and I know you're thinking now, your wheels are really turning. That, that, that really doesn't make sense. Dennis, you're not really saying that. Well, God definitely ordained it to be there. Or He's not sovereign. <laughs> One of the two, take your pick. But He knows what to do with it, see? That's, that's the thing. Um... When the woman saw the tree was good for... Okay, you know the rest of the story. I don't have a lot of time to uh, take this apart. But we do see that after it's all said and done, there's a cursing of Satan. There is a cursing on the woman. Uh, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. They've already been told to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply. And so they know that there's going to be other generations. There's going to be de descendants after them, which chapter 4, we have Cain and Abel. And that develops, and they have more and more kids, and it goes on, Adam and Eve does. And, uh, of course, uh, here we have uh, the pain bringing forth children. Then we see the curse to Adam, and uh, we know it's dealing with the ground that he toils, thorns and thistles, and... Um, sweat on your face. Uh, you will eat bread. You'll, you know, you will be eating, uh, and I'll take care of. You know, God's going to provide, but it's going to be a lot different till you returned, turned to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. He's already said that he's going to die, if he takes from that. Now he says, this is what's going to happen to you. 
Adam died spiritually at that very moment. He's separated from God and he's even kicked out of the Garden of Eden as Eve is and they can't come back in there. There's a spiritual separation. A spiritual death. There's a physical death that started at that time and as time goes on, the parts of his body will get less and less and he will die. And it says in Genesis, Adam died. And then you see a long line in that genealogy. Died, 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 died. You say, why does it say that? It's really repetitious. Why did they die? Well, it's because of Adam's sin that was transferred to them. Okay. Um, we get the idea there. Uh, he, he's, he's going to die. He does die. Everybody dies. We know that. Everybody knows that. Nobody can argue that unless you are a poached egg. Uh, some people... I actually ran into a woman one time that actually believed that she was not going to die. Because if she believed hard enough that she can continue to live, that she would never die. Well, that means you were living. How about Adam and Eve living eternally in the Garden of Eden? God had to get them out of there, otherwise they would right? He, of course, he had another plan, but uh, it's hard to believe that somebody would actually say that. But the idea is here is the emphasis is on the term one when we get back to Romans 5. Come out of Genesis there. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, one man, one, the influence of one man, just one, that dominates the whole flow of human beings, doesn't it? It affects us today. Thousands of years later, we got affected. One man's sin condemns all men. Not only do we get a sin, but we're condemned. Romans, first three chapters, talks about that, doesn't it? The one act. And the analogy also is seen clearly as the one person, Christ, who justifies men. Or his. So, here we are. This is since Adam, and it's not changed. It's been that way. There has been a change in Christ, but I will tell you as we look at this, dealing with everybody inheriting this sin, that doesn't change. Right where we are, right here, right now, is the key to all of history. This is a statement that will help us, and you actually already know it, you understand everything, not every, not every little detail, you get what I mean, of what this world is about. Why it is the way it is. Why is there a war going on? Right? Why does somebody attack somebody? Well, they've done it for thousands of years. Why is it that we do things that we don't like to do as Christians? Romans 7 talks about that. We're still in the flesh, but it, we still battle with sin. It's still there. It's why man is the way he is and why death is still here. It's why we still have funerals. This is, this is the key to history right here. And if people do not get this idea of what happened to Adam and him being the one man and the one man who caused all of this to fall on every other man, if they don't get that, they are never really going to understand what history is about. Sure, they can grab bits and pieces and they can write it and it can be helpful to all of us. But if you don't have that idea of Adam lived and he was made perfect and yet he fell, and why he fell, and disobedience and such. That's why man is where he's at. It still is. It doesn't change, does it? Simple. So, we're all together on this so far, right? Hanging right there. Somebody is going to say, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean that I sinned in Adam before I was even born? 
before I existed, I, I did that. I wasn't a person then. How can that happen? Now, we can't measure that scientifically, physically, can we? Because we know we're here, we know exactly what year we were born in. And so, how can that be? We're responsible for the sin that we have. Biblical doctrine is saying that the sin that we have, the one kind of sin that I'm talking about, is coming from somebody else. And you say, well, I can't, I can't get that. Well, a Christian can get it a little bit better when they think of the analogy of Christ. And he's not an analogy, but uh, Adam's story is here as we're moving on as being really the, the being the one that we're to be in. Jesus Christ was our federal head. He represents us and we trust in His sacrifice that takes away our sin and then He puts His righteousness upon us so that we can be declared righteous by God. And it was because He is a federal head. He was representing us. Does anybody have any trouble with that? Nobody does, right? How many would say, praise the Lord? That's Christianity, right? That's at the heart of our beliefs. So therefore, we believe in that imputation. Although there are many Christians today that uh, deny, and I say Christians very carefully, and uh, I put quote marks around that, they say, I don't believe in imputation. I don't believe that He died for me. I don't believe He died as a substitute for me. I believe He lived a righteous life and my righteous life follows the things that He does because what He did was good things. I want to follow His teachings. I want to do the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, well, I'll tell you, if that's what they're trusting in to get to heaven, they're not going to heaven. They're not Christians. A lot of people, believe me, deny imputation. I cannot believe how many say, "No, that's that's not, I don't I don't like the idea of somebody dying for me." It's the heart of Christianity, right? It's the gospel. Well, now we know that Adam was a head, a federal head, one who represents us. There are different views on, on this. Um, this is deep theology, and I'm not going to get into all the other ones. I do not have time. Uh, and I don't like to talk about things that I don't really really care to talk about. <laughs> I'm just going to say, he's the federal head, and he's representing all of mankind. Why? Because God made it that way. He said, well, I don't like that. I'd, I'd rather make my own decision about that. Too bad. You didn't get that choice. Um, God made warnings to Adam. And it was quite a heavy warning. You'll die. I'm not sure if they really understood the whole idea of what death is about. I'm sure they didn't know what we know. Uh, but God gave threats, gave warnings. Here's what's going to happen. And we know if it's carried out, it will happen. And it did. Adam eventually died. And it is carried out against all of us all throughout history. The Bible says the day, Adam, that you eat of it, you will surely die. And what more proof do you want? Uh, everybody dies. And because of that, because of sin, we die, right? Uh, well, you know, that was to Adam though. I, I didn't make that sin. Somebody might ask, why do I die? Well, you can't say that. <laughs> because you are going to die and you're responsible for the consequences of sin. For the consequences that will come. The penalty. There's a penalty. So, there were threats given by God and directed to Him and his posterity. Not only is God telling Adam that he's going to die, but his whole posterity is going to die. Everybody following him. That is pretty heavy weight on the shoulders, is it not? The rest of the world is going to die because of what you did. 
Why, why is that? Well, he's representing everybody. You know, you have representatives. We have a representative form of government here in the United States, which I think is fantastic. It can break down because man is uh, a sinner, and the forefathers knew that. That's why they put in as much as the way that they did it, and the way it was to be ruled, uh, based off godly biblical principles. Uh, but what they made is, rather than a king, to have somebody represent you. We have representatives here in the state, and then we have senators, and then it goes up to the governor. But that's all representation. They are there to protect us and do the work for us. Nice, nice deal. And it works pretty good. Not always, but I'm sure glad I came under that form. I'm, we've been blessed. Uh, if, uh, like for instance, if you have a president, he is representing what the people want as it goes through certain laws and of course, whatever he says is what the United States is supposed to be about. We know that that probably isn't the case, but when other people look at us, other nations, they see one nation, they see one ruler, and whatever things that he's spouting out and is supposed to be representing the people, and we know, wait a minute, wait a minute, i got a problem with that, right? That's why you have elections, but we like fair elections. <laughs> But that's why Putin is doing what he's doing. He's representing Russia and what I understand that the Russian people as a whole are protesting what their leader is doing going in to their neighbor country. And yet he's representing all of Russia. So when you say Russia or you say Putin, you, you put Putin with Russia. Even though they don't like it. And they're willing to give up their lives. Some of them, as you prayed in the streets, protesting, you could be uh, losing your life very quickly. Uh, but he's representing them. The president for Ukraine, who's been very brave through all of this, as he stays with the people, he's representing the people much better than what I think Putin is representing his people. And so that's why they stay, and they stay very courageous in it. And, uh, of course... You have a representation there. Uh, that's what Adam did. Whether you like it or not, you can say, well, I don't like that. I would have made a different choice on that. Well, do you think you would have done better than Adam? Do you really think he would have done better? Now, remember, he is perfectly innocent. He has never sinned in his life. Do you think that if you stood for your own sin now as an individual... As your own person, do you think as you would stand before God that you would have been able to do better? Let's say, take, take out the idea of we have a Redeemer, right? Redemption. That's what Romans has been about too. You know, We are redeemed by Christ. That's the only way. But if you take away the course of redemption, and you stand there and say, you know what, I can live a righteous life. Well, actually, a third of the angels fell. That's a lot. Two-thirds didn't, thank the Lord. But they didn't have a Redeemer. They didn't fall, but they didn't have a Redeemer. We fell. We fell on Adam. But we have a Redeemer. And that does make the difference. You know, if I were Adam, I would have failed. I would have failed, and I got a feeling that you all would have failed too. Even the greatest man that's ever lived, or John the Baptist, he would have failed. Uh, ultimately, God has His will. Adam had his choice, and he was innocent. But yet he became a sinner. So the Bible teaches that we're condemned through the fault of no one except Adam. So wait a minute, what about my sin? I'm not speaking about that for right now. We will in a moment. Because it says there that as we move on into 14, it really has a very difficult statement that's made there. People who didn't sin like Adam. And you say, I thought everybody sinned. 
Well, it's really was not our fault to get this kind of sin. And there is a distinction between original sin and actual sin. Original sin is that sin of Adam that has the consequence of being brought to us. Actual sin is the sins, the deeds that we do that uh, are against God's law. We know they are, and we do things, and it's sin. You know, we've 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 done those things. We still do those things. Well, the thing is, is that you say, well, how can he charge me condemned if really it's not my sin, but it's Adam's sin there, and in Adam. We all die. Well, see, we're justified on the other side through Christ. The opposite way, right here. There's no merit on our own to get to heaven, right? And there was nothing that we can say that is really our fault. And when we talk about the the sin of, of Adam, or we talk about this original sin, that is taken to us, imputed to us. Um, It's something that Adam has done. It affected lives. Did it affect eternal life? How about you? Did did that fall? Looking at it now, did it affect your eternal life? No. So, it doesn't go to the course of uh, affecting in that way but the fact is, it did affect us as far as being sinners. And that means dealing with nature. What is it? I, I'm a sinner because I sin? Or I sin because I'm a sinner? There is a difference. Did you catch that? I know if you hadn't heard that before, probably most of you have, but if you haven't heard of it, I know you're thinking about see, Sin, sinner, sinner, sin. The idea is, is you sin because you are a sinner. That's your nature. But it does not affect our eternal lot. And why is that? Well, it affects our present lot, but not our eternal lot, because we know the gospel, the gospel of Christ, and He is the one who gives eternal life. Um, when Adam sinned. It was the whole human race. Sinners, mankind sinning there in that sense. So, He's the cause of all men becoming sinners. Now, you notice as we've gone through this in those one, two, three, uh, those chapters, and then, of course, four, we got into what justification by faith was kept talking about we're sinners, and of course right here he says, now I kind of want to go back here a little bit and show how this happened and who it is that did this and what this is. Because he says here, one man sin entered into the world. And then he says, and death through sin. Okay, sin entered into the world. How did death enter? Well, that's easy. Death came through sin. The the way we sinned in Adam was by imputation. And that's that word again. Uh, Augustine uh, talked about this and he says it's like seminal, seminal transmission of the sin principle. The nature. So, let's work on this. Death entered the world through sin. Uh, death is something that you don't see at first because God created everything perfect. But sin comes in and brings about death. When the corrupting principle, and that's why we're at where we're at, a corrupting principle entered into the human stream, so did the penalty. What was the penalty that Adam was warned about? Death. So a penalty has to be there. What does Romans 6.23 say? The wages of sin is death. The wages. Results. Death results out of sin. Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. 
death. Genesis 2.17 God said, you eat of that tree that I'm telling you not to eat of, you eat it, you die. Happened. So death became the penalty. Sin and death, you put those two together and you can never separate the two. They are always together. Sin and death. I, uh, I think of Romans 9.27. Uh, not Romans. Uh, Hebrews. Hebrews 9.27. And inasmuch as it is pointed for men to die once. And after this comes judgment. By the way, there's no second chance. There's no purgatory. There's nothing anything like that. Um, you say, wait, wait a minute, I can get this right. I know what the answer is now. No. And by the way, at the end of verse 26, um, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And there's death there. We die in Christ, his sacrifice. And then he says, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once. And then comes judgment. So either we're in Christ or we go there as we are and we know what that brings, the penalty. And that will be what is called eternal death. Uh, and of course that is the judgment, final judgment. So uh, we get this idea of how this is transferred and such and you think of a, a baby that's born uh, two hours old. Is that baby sin? Uh, has it done any lying and cheating and stealing and murdering? Well, you know, that baby seems rather innocent, even though really uh, we know that in Psalm 51, David says that he was conceived in sin. You remember that? Psalm 51, verse 5. Two hours old, three hours old, three months old, three years old, 30 years old, whatever, you know, we go on, there's... Uh, we could ask this question, are they guilty? Is a baby guilty, though, of rejecting Christ? It's just been born. How can that be, right? No. But they still they can die, can't they? We, we know about babies who are born, stillborn. Babies who live for an hour and die. And so somebody would have a lot of trouble with that. And if you look at it humanly, I can't blame them. But yet you look at the eternal aspect and what God says in His Word, we get what real truth is. Uh, they inherit the same nature that everybody else has had. And they're still under the penalty of death. But I will say, isn't the story of amazing grace. Amazing every time you think about it. Amen. And that's where I think we always have to get our hope from. We always look at Christ. Jeremiah 17.9 and you might know that by heart. It's talking about the by the heart. Speaking of the heart. 17.9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is so desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's a deceitful heart. That is the nature. That is what was handed down from Adam. That's what happened there when he did that. But, we ask this, Have you died in Christ? Have you been buried with Christ? Have you arisen to new life in Christ? We don't have a bit of trouble with that because we are in Christ. He put you in Christ on the cross, in the grave, in the resurrection. And so if somebody really has trouble with it, you say, well, there's the one man that uh, is the second man, the second Adam. We have a first Adam. Here's another question to ask. Is it just or is it fair that millions of sinners should be saved by the grace of God? Is that just? Because we did not pay the penalty. We're the ones who had that. 
And the penalty is what? Death. Just like it was in Adam's time. It's always been there. So is that fair that one would actually take his life and give us his righteousness and forgive us and declare us righteous when we didn't pay the penalty? That is a great thing to be thinking about, isn't it? The one person, Christ. So we could see why there had to be a necessity of the virgin birth. It means more now than ever, doesn't it? Because you see, Christ, if He is born the way that natural birth is, and Joseph would be His father in that sense, the way that it normally goes, then He would have inherited that nature also. He would have had this problem of the sin that's handed down from Adam that went all the way. But we can see in God's great plan, He has a seed there, but it's by the Holy Spirit and it doesn't happen in a natural way. It's very unnatural. Mary is to carry this important baby, the Savior of the world, in her womb. Although God has made this possible in a way that is totally different than the natural way. He bypassed the penalty that the human race had, even though he was 100% human. He did not have to come in the way that we did. Everybody else is born that way, aren't they? Now, we get to another one here, point number two. And it's about sin prior to the law. And now this one is might be where we would be wrestling. All the other ones before should be natural and fall into place. I've struggled with this text for a long time. For until the law, sin was in the world, right? No problem with that. Until the law, that's the time of Moses. Around 1500 B.C. But he says this, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Wait a minute. You already have been saying that that sin has been imputed from Adam to us. Well, do you remember the two ideas of the distinction between sin? Uh, there's original sin, and then there's what? There is the actual sin. And that's what he's talking about right here. Until the law, sin was in the world. It's, it's there. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Okay, um, let's say if we had, um, let's say we're out on the highway and we are driving 90 miles an hour and everybody drives 90 miles an hour. There is no speed limit there and you can drive however fast you want. Well, would you be breaking a law because you're going 90 miles an hour? And maybe a few miles later on a different highway, they have the, like a 60 mile an hour speed limit. There's a law there. Uh, but in the meantime, where you're at, there is no law, so there is what? No penalty for that act. But remember, there's still the sin that's dealing with Adam that was imputed. That's why it's so good to be able to dis have the distinction between original sin and our actual sin. It's not that he's saying, hey, you, you get away with it. It's okay. You can do that. Well, I don't have a law yet. you know. So do whatever you want to do. So yet man has a law in his heart too. Even at that time. Yes, absolutely. But he says there's no law at that time. So therefore, um, the law didn't exist. But death reigns. Death is still there. So that, what does that prove to you? That the penalty is still being carried out, whether there's a law or no law, because it had been given... What command had been given to Adam? There was a law given to him. Some people like to call... Uh, like the, This is the covenant of works. Whether he did the right choice or the wrong choice, right? Uh, if he can do the right thing, then you know he does it by his, his works there. But the thing is, is that that was an act of sin. 
that he did, and he did it disobediently. God directly commanded him. No doubt about it, right? There should not be any confusion over that on Adam's part. And so uh, there it is. And we know that the penalty did come and it's death. So even though there's not a law, death is still there because the principle is within them. There's a sin sin corrupts us, right? A corrupting principle within them. The nature of man. Adam sinned by breaking a direct command. God is course with his plan I think is is amazing and so we look at that we've we've always had the law with us uh, but as as you move on into 14 nevertheless death reigned from Adam until Moses it still was there even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam and, and we're, we're working on this sin was imputed it was through the sin of Adam, right? Okay, we got that. Um, okay, we move on to the death prior to the law. What about the man? Everybody's heard about this. What about the man in Africa who has never heard of God's law? We've all heard that, right? You know what the answer is, don't you? All sinned. What about those people? They're the same boat we are. Yeah, but they didn't hear God's law. Well, here it says right here that, uh, you know, uh, it's not imputed, but yet, at the same time, all of sin in Adam and death is still there. Okay, Paul one-ups this. What about the man in Africa? Everybody always asks that. What about the man who lived before the law where no one had heard of the law. See, it's like, okay, it's in Africa or certain places in the jungle, they don't hear about the law. But what about all those people who had, none of them had ever heard the law. It hadn't been written until 1500 B.C. From Adam on all the way to there. What, what about that? People were still suffering death though, weren't they? They still have that problem. So, you know, they're getting speeding tickets in a place where there was no speed limit. Do you catch that? They get the penalty where there's no law, though. At the same time, where it says, hey, what about this? It's the imputation of Adam's sin. You notice how I keep repeating things? But we go back there, and that imputation is everything. And that's why we're at where we're at. That's why we need a Redeemer. If we don't want the Redeemer, then we stay where we're at and then we get eternal death, which means we have, we live forever uh, separated from God in a place called hell. Okay, uh, imputation, we've seen that. Men didn't die because they do acts of sin, but because of the corruptive nature already within them. That is how we die. So, Adam, and to close this off now, believe it or not, we're right at the very last phase of this. Do you get this now? Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam. Adam was given a direct command. It was a law. And if you break it, here's what's going to happen, right? Now, there was no law all the way now to Moses. And those people are still responsible because they have that sin, but God makes way through sacrifice. And He sacrificed animals to give the clothing to cover over the sin of Adam and Eve. And they were taught very early on, on, on excuse me, to believe in a sacrifice because that's the only way that you can get in right communion with God. And then we know that uh, Cain and Abel were taught that and they would bring sacrifices at a certain time, at a certain time, a certain place, a certain way. It had to be uh, like an animal of 
that was there. Blood had to be shed. Not plants. But we need that blood to be shed. Okay. Now. So that's, and that was pointing to really the ultimate sacrifice, Christ, which was going to be hundreds and hundreds of years later, right? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So even though they sinned in Adam, they didn't sin like Adam in that they had a direct law and they absolutely flat out obeyed like he did in the likeness of Adam. They didn't sin in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Does that make sense now? Is that ringing a bell? So, so he goes back to him and he says this about Adam. Who is a type of him who was to come. And he'll explain that further um, in the next verse and on through the rest of the chapter uh, where you see the first man, the last man or the second man, the first Adam, the second Adam. Adam was a tupos, a type of Christ. Tupos means to strike in the Greek. Um, it, they would have um, maybe symbols or a stamp, and it would, it would hit, and it would make an imprint. Uh, do you remember the ancient dinosaur called the typewriter? <laughs> Some of you might remember that, and others are saying, what? What is that? But it would strike, as you would be on the keyboard there, you would strike letters to make words and sentences, just like we do on the computers. But it's a little bit different. It's still striking. It, you know, there, there's a type that comes out on that, isn't there? You know, kind of exactly the way it is, or it's a representation. He was a tupas, or a type, or an illustration Adam was a picture of what is to come. All die in Adam. All come alive in Christ. One man did that. One man saved us. So he was a federal head. And that's what a lot of uh, Reformed theologians and even not Reformed will use this term. Federal head. He represented you. That's why you were the sinner you were when you were first born and why you continue in that. Uh, we know that that has changed in Christ, but we still have these bodies. His actions were imputed to others. Adam's were. Christ's actions were imputed to all those who are His believers. He is the federal head. Christ represents us. And so whenever God the Father says, what sin? Whenever we say, you know, there we are, we're sin. And He sees Christ as the one who takes away the sin in a spiritual way. One day that will totally be done. But His actions were imputed to us. That's why when we looked in... Romans earlier, we saw imputation. Uh, sin is imputed to us. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. And now we are no longer under that bondage. In the eyes of the law, all who are identified with Christ have been crucified with Him and have risen to new life. And that is the good news. That's where He's going on this, but He had to go back and show how this happened because a lot of people really will say, I can understand how I died in Adam. Well, here's my answer. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I kind of took an hour about that. I hope it helps a little bit um, because it's about God and His story. It's about sin. It's about redemption. There's a lot of stuff in between, isn't there? But uh, Paul goes into quite the depth here. And I think it will take an eternity to understand what all this means. But if this is the first time you've heard of this, it will give you something to think about. If you've heard it many times, it will give you something to think about. Because it always does. I've been dealing with this all week. I've read this for many, many years. And Romans is one of my favorite books, of course. But... 
Whenever I see this, it uh, brings forth how bad I was, and uh, I have Adam to blame on it. <laughs> but I also am responsible myself, because, and yes, I show it by my own sin, which I hate so much. So anyway, do you see a little bit why the world is the way it is, and what's going on today in our world, or what's going on tomorrow? That's the way that it has gone since there's been sin. We have an answer, don't we? We know what's going on. The enemy loves it. God will take care of it. Dearly Father, You are certainly a great, precious, holy, awesome God that we are in absolute wonder of. Your beauty that You have is something that we long to look at. And we want Your water, the refreshing water constantly flowing to us. We desire the drink that comes from the fountain, to drink from Your Word, Your truth. For this is where ultimate truth is. It's where everything is headed right here, what we're looking at in this Bible. Thank You for giving us such a treasure as today. And Lord, where I have come up so short of being able to describe this, I pray that Your Holy Spirit etches it on our minds a little bit more about what You've done. And Your story is tremendous. We give thank You. Thanks to You, Lord, for Your great glory that You're constantly just bringing about showing us who You are. Jesus' name, amen.